Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Your business may be small, but you've got big goals. Brother Laser Printers can help you succeed, no matter the space, task, or budget. From crisp black and white to vivid full color, our printers offer affordable quality you can trust. Plus, fast printing and high page yields make them ideal for home offices and shared workspaces. It's no wonder Brother is the number one retail brand in laser printer unit sales in the U.S. With Brother at your side, go from small to do it all. Shop now at brother-usa.com slash laser. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and also welcome to opening day. About four months later than we originally attended to say those words on this show, But the 2020 season is off and running after yesterday's New York Yankees, Washington Nationals, and San Francisco Giants and Los Angeles Dodgers games. On this episode, we get you ramped up for Game 1 of the White Sox season and the opening weekend against the Minnesota Twins. We'll review the White Sox 30-man roster, look at the projected or try to project what manager Rick Renteria will trot out for his opening day lineup, especially with Nomar Mazzara on the I.L., and a look at the probable pitching matchups for the first series of the season against the Minnesota Twins as Dallas Keuchel and Ronaldo Lopez will take the ball for the White Sox on Saturday and Sunday. Before the season starts, though, Major League Baseball decided to throw everyone a curveball by expanding the postseason to 16 teams. Of course, Commissioner Rob Manfred had to wait until everyone, including Sox Machine, to make our postseason predictions to decide to expand to 16 teams. Thanks, Rob. But not only is it 16 teams, which obviously includes the division winners, but the team that finishes second in the division automatically qualifies for the postseason. We'll get into why that second part could be funky in a moment, but let me introduce my co-host. He's the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Without playing a game in 2020... 
the White Sox odds of snapping the postseason drought increased greatly. Yeah, it's uh, I guess it lends uh, (laughs) some uh, perspective on just how warped the season is when. Uh, well, I mean, three things right before the start of the season. One is that the Toronto Blue Jays don't have a home. Two is that uh, Juan Soto tests positive for COVID-19 and then has to miss opening day. And then you have the number of postseason teams changing hours before the start of the season. So uh, those three things put together just makes it seem like whatever happens this season, uh, you won't need to put an asterisk because everybody will remember 2020 and just how backwards and different and wrong and crazy and unorthodox and unofficial and uh, improvised it was. Yeah, and Clay Kershaw, the ace of the Los Angeles Dodgers, also put in the IL before opening day with back tightness. Uh, and who knows, maybe even later today we'll hear that other White Sox players and Minnesota Twins players are not ready to go. Uh, again, we'll try to keep you guys updated with the most recent news on Sox Machine. Uh, dot com and also follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. But let, let me go into why this whole postseason format could get a bit funky. The last three seasons in the American League using this postseason format of having eight teams make the playoffs, we would have seen at least one team with a losing record make the postseason. So the trend continues. It is possible that the Chicago White Sox could extend their consecutive losing streak to eight seasons. But, Jim, they could find a way to make the postseason because why not in 2020? And in those situations, uh, last year it would have been the Texas Rangers making the postseason with 78 wins. 2018 is the doozy. The Minnesota Twins finished second place in the American League Central Gym with a score record. The Angels finished 80-82. and But the Angels did not finish in second, and they did not finish in third. They finished in fourth in the American League West, and yet they would have not made the postseason under this format because the Minnesota Twins, who had two fewer wins, finished second in the American League Central. And two bad Angels in this situation. Maybe you should be playing in the American League Central. This is why this whole postseason format uh, is really odd. I mean, it's already odd, Jim, when you extend to eight teams, but the fact that the second place team automatically qualifies as well, that that's just too much. Yeah, I think it's like the NHL where they have the three top finishers in each division and then two wildcard teams to fill out the eight team pool for each conference. And uh, yeah, just, I mean, when you have eight teams and theoretically, you know, you just had an even number of winners and losers, then at least you'd have one below 500 team get in the postseason every year, which is not good. Like, it's not the spirit of the game. And with baseball being a sport that really isn't as susceptible to home field advantage, I mean, especially if the world, coming off a World Series like last year where the home team won zero games, uh, you don't get that kind of certainty that, like, the NBA has and the NHL has where you just feel good about being the home team, especially NBA, I think, more so than uh, hockey. But... Yeah, it's uh, it's not great. I mean, this season, I don't mind it so much just because extra reps for some teams. I do think it's flirting with um, the whole idea of trying to be done by the fall to add extra postseason teams and expanding the schedule. I mean, not so much necessarily expanding the schedule by days, but just by the amount of teams that are active and have to travel and the amount of facilities that need to be 
maintained and you know the teams that have to abide by social distancing when theoretically they could have all you know the the, the newly eligible teams could have all gone home and and uh you know minded their own business there and, and kept uh, socially distanced from everybody else so it does seem like it's ignoring the uh whole idea of the season you know that the league eventually came around to you know first they were arguing for 60 games because they don't want to pay players for more but then it came you know they they realized like oh it's a much better argument to say that we're worried about uh public safety and keeping a really tight schedule and so to uh you know have a 60 game schedule agreed upon and everybody's like getting used to the idea and uh you know just normal postseason because they can couldn't agree on a postseason uh a format but with the union and you know, just uh, everybody's more or less figuring out, okay, well, at least it makes public health sense and how to randomly change and, and, and make up a format uh, basically on the fly. Uh, it does seem like they're getting a little bit fast and loose because, uh, you know, some areas are still very much uh, dealing with a coronavirus problem that's getting worse. And there are, and I think this is a legit concern, there are some in baseball that think it's just not going to be for 2020. Yeah, that this could be the standard moving forward. And I caution against that because going back again to the American League, remember the 2017 season, Jim? There was only five teams in the American League that had a winning record. If you move forward with this on having eight teams and you if you have a repeat of 2017, you could have three teams with a losing record make the postseason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing I wonder um, and, and, you know, my thoughts personally is, you know, I value the regular season and I like when baseball has fewer or a lower percentage of its teams making the postseason because it makes it valuable. Even the wild card uh, spot hasn't cheapened that too much. I mean, I like the clean and simple, um, you know, division winners only format from, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I thought that was just a very uh, high stakes way of uh, it playing out, but I can respect the wild card. You know, you get some, you know, if you get like a, a, a bad division winner, the wild card does provide some justice there. I didn't like the second wild card because it makes uh, the chance that like an even worse team can somehow win the world series. Um, but the thing I wonder is, do you like October baseball more than August baseball? Yes. I I do. I with the pressure and the sold out crowd and how everyone is living on every single pitch, I do I understand though the duration of the games in October is a bit much. I mean, you're talking about 4-hour marathons often. Yeah, I do I do like the pressure and I do like the crowd, the environments, but yeah, just it's a different game. You know, starters being pulled earlier, matchups over specialization mm-hmm. and so forth and uh I don't, you know, I guess I like the regular season just fine. I think uh, baseball is in a weird spot because, um, you know, it's always trying to measure up to other sports and it, it just might be slipping. And it's hard to tell, you know, uh, I, I think pace of play is a real problem when it comes to, you know, postseason games being four and a half hours when regular season games for the longest time used to be like two hours and 40 minutes. So to make the games, you know, be even longer, but with less action is not good and it's not good for TV. So there's that. Um, but when it comes to just like the, uh, you know, the whole attention span and games, uh, starting late and ending really late and, and kind of getting out of control and the whole, it's the, it's the conflict between the game, not having a clock and people liking that. And, and also the, uh, uh, game just being able to be 
specialized with matchups. And so that's why I think, you know, when you have the three batter minimum, which a lot of fans don't like, I actually like that because it gets the, the heart of uh, what makes games drag on intermittently just uh it, it it can just be matchup after matchup after matchup commercial break after commercial break and then when you see the commercial breaks they're all about boner pills just because the <laughs> average baseball man is uh, a 55 year old male and maybe even older than that so you know baseball's got problems but i think you know when it's trying to adjust itself to be more oriented towards the postseason i wonder if it's making a mistake because i think that tends to be the less watchable brand of baseball to fans i think baseball strength is the summer uh, you know, maybe this is sounding too saccharine, but the summer companionship, just having a game on every day, uh, you know, you can, you can always find the radio, you can always find TV, you can go to a game whenever you want, be it minor league or major, not minor league this year, but, you know, in, in non-pandemic seasons, you can go to a game basically whenever you want. I think that's the strength of the game. And so to just uh, to have everything pointed towards October and having everything... Uh, be on the success of a tournament at the end of the season where it's vastly different from the majority of games being played, uh, that just doesn't sit right with me. And I just don't think it's a great idea for uh, growing the game. I think it cheapens the postseason after a while. I, I think it'll just kind of make the postseason a blur. And all comes down to the World Series anyway, and I just don't know who gains from that. Well, Major League Baseball does because of the television contracts. You got ESPN and Turner and Fox. They're willing to spend more money, Jim, for those games. Yeah, yeah I just wonder if that's just a, like, just a bandage. There are three concerns on Rob Manfred's desk today, Jim. Juan Soto testing positive after he played a game on Tuesday. The Toronto Blue Jays don't have a home or playoff expansion. And he only accomplished one of those three by expanding the playoffs. Yeah. I think he be, he's made it very clear what is the top priority for Major League Baseball. Whatever makes the league and the owners money is going to take top priority for the sport. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'll watch it because I, I like baseball, but... Uh, you know, just the idea of the White Sox snapping their postseason drought while not snapping their losing season drought <laughs> is really bizarre. Well, here's my compromise, okay? If you want to expand the postseason, I'm okay if you want to expand it to six teams. The first two seeds have a bye, while the three faces the six and the four faces the five seed in a best-of-three series, play all games played at the Better Seeds home ballpark. If you want to expand the postseason, there you go. Because whoever wins those first two series, those three-game series, will then move on to face the number one and number two seeds in the divisional round. It's very similar to the NFL, but I say that, and the NFL is going to be expanding its postseason as well, uh, as everybody wants to match what the NBA and NHL have with uh, with eight teams being uh, from every league into the postseason. Yeah, that, that's my compromise as far as the, the postseason. But even with this eight-team playoff, Jim, I, I think it's got a chance to be successful because even though one of these teams is going to be poor and they're going to have a losing record, they could shock the world. They could upset the number one seed, Jim. And even though it's a long shot, it's a huge reason why we keep watching March Madness. We love it when David beats Goliath, and it does set up that opportunity for Major League Baseball with this year's postseason. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I like it this year just because the season is so short, uh, 60 games to where if you have a, a, a player injured for two weeks or if you have like a couple positive COVID tests for key players, like say if the Nationals, lo- yeah, they lost uh, Juan Soto, but say they lose like Trey Turner and Steven Strasburg and such. Like if it's just, uh, you know, um, you know, Max Scherzer misses two turns in the rotation. And all of a sudden, you know, they're like, you know, just a kind of a mediocre 31 and 29, but they sneak in. Uh, but, but at the time the postseason starts, they're back at full strength. And if it were a hundred and, you know, if the season were twice as long or three times as long, almost as a, which is 162 games is, uh, then you have like a postseason looking team that just doesn't have a postseason record in a, in a less than a half a season. And that's, that's fine to me. That makes sense. And I think, uh, you can have a few things. You, you can have teams reward for hot starts. Cool. You can have teams that are just getting it together. Great. Uh, you know, it's more reps for certain players. So, I mean, I appreciate that and I can uh, enjoy that. I just think if you have like a sequence of a few years, like say if this continues to full seasons and you have a, a few years where, you know, 80 win teams somehow win the World Series, um, then you just wonder what were the 162 games for? Sure. Which I think, you know, when you have that long of a season, that's your strength, is that the 162 games tells you the superiority of the team. That's why, you know, like with the Dodgers missing out on, you know, uh, falling short in the World Series, like, yeah, I'm thinking if I were a Dodger fan, like my my attitude is that, yeah, that's a, that's a hell of an organization when you build a team that holds up over 162 games that, that often, that frequently. I, okay, I could buy a little bit of that, but just on the Dodgers, though, it's they haven't won a World Series since 1988. Like it's been a minute, <laughs> and the- yeah, I mean it's a it's annoying. I just don't take it as like choking. They've lost a couple well played World Series. Yeah, they've been tough. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like so. Yeah, you know, it's it's like a crowning achievement. But when it comes to like you know the deciding which is the best team, you know, I tend to look at the 162 game performance to talk about like team. You know, one through five starting rotation, uh, one through nine lineup, you know, which ones actually hold up in the court. Because I, I consider regular season ball like the actual form that you build a team for. And I just wonder, you know, when you have if, if you have an expanded postseason, do you do teams only care about three starters? Do they only care about, you know, just uh, you know, are, do, do, I, wonder, I wonder just how teams get built when like 85 wins always gets you there. Well, you could also have chaos at the trade deadline. Like if the Kansas City Royals, Jim, are 500 as we approach the trade deadline and they would be the sixth seed in the postseason, does Dane Moore do something crazy and make a big trade so Kansas City makes the postseason in 2020? Yeah, well, I think in like a 60-game season, it's it's fine just because it's going to be crazy no matter what. I'm just thinking more about you know applying this format to a 162-game season, which I'm not a fan of and I can't really... You know, maybe it's something I'll change my mind, but I keep coming back to like just low 80s teams possibly being rewarded. Uh, that kind of strikes me as antithesis of like how a good team is supposed to show itself. Why my compromise is a 16 playoff, not eight teams, because I think in the American League with the way that the league is up right now, if you do this in 2021, Jim, and we do get 162 games in the season, there for sure is going to be at least one losing team. A team with a losing record is going to make the postseason. And uh, that's going to feel odd. Now, about this season, though, and this upcoming postseason, do White Sox fans, Jim, need to adjust their expectations for 2020? I had the White Sox making the wild card already with my season predictions on SoxMachine.com. 
But you had them on the outside looking in in a five-team format with the playoffs expanding to eight teams. In your opinion, should the White Sox make the postseason in 2020? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I think at this point, you know, when you project four, 84, 85 wins as they were, uh, and, you know, knock on wood, you know, everybody's still mostly intact. So they should have the depth to compete for you know, uh, a situation where more than half the league makes the postseason. So, yeah, I, I had them on the outside like sixth or seventh, you know, just being competitive, but not quite having the like top to bottom depth, uh, proven depth of other teams. I thought, you know, just a lot of things have to click right for the, the White Sox to like, you know, to sneak in above, like, say, the 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 best teams, which I consider to be the Twins, Astros, uh, Yankees, then uh, a tier below, like the Rays, A's, uh, Indians, then like, I think the White Sox are just on the outside of that. So, uh, you know, then you have like the Rangers, Angels, I think the, the the White Sox can be lumped in with them. So I think they can. And I would think it'd be a disappointment if they didn't, unless, you know, as it turns out that just like every roster is in, <laughs> in shreds and uh, teams are just looking for 25 bodies in a given day to uh, to get through a or 26, I should say, to get through a series. But, uh, you know, right now, as it stands, and if you can count on most of the roster being there, yeah, I would say it's a disappointment if they don't make it. The expectations have changed, folks, in 2020. Maybe not so much a, you know, let's hope they break the losing season streak and see if they take a step forward. Maybe shock the world and make the postseason in a five-team playoff, but now with eight teams making it both in the American and National League. Yeah, I agree with Jim. The expectation that should be that the White Sox are one of the top half teams in the American League and they find themselves in the postseason in 2020. So that contention window starts now. Not so much a hope they can make the playoffs. Now it's they should make the playoffs, especially after this past offseason and the talent that's on hand for manager Rick Renteria. We're going to talk about that talent in a moment, but we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Coming up next on the Sox Machine podcast is the White Sox 30-man roster to start the 2020 season and the first series preview against the Minnesota Twins. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Listen. You hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries. For nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Let's shift our attention to the Chicago White Sox 30-man roster. Some surprises. Nick Magical did not make the 30-man roster. 
Neither did Yervin Mercedes. But Jimmy Lambert and Cody Hoyer did. So did Chesler Cuthbert and Nikki Monaco. And with Noah Mazar starting the season on the injured list for undisclosed reasons, Nikki Monaco might be your opening day right fielder. Jim Margulis, did you ever think it would be Nikki Monaco in the starting lineup on opening day for a contending White Sox team? Not starting lineup, but I did mention him as a dark horse during spring training as somebody who could make the team based on roster holes. So I'll give myself partial credit. Well, there you go. A nice pat on the back. Any surprises for you on those that did make the 30-man roster? I think you you, you mentioned um, you know Cuthbert making it over Nick Madrigal, and that's I wouldn't call it a surprise. I'd call it unfortunate just because you know, I think it's service time related, and I thought the White Sox you know should be past that. And uh, you know when you look at players who bring something to the table, I don't know what Chesler Cuthbert brings to the table. I know in Madrigal, even if he doesn't hit right away, he's got defense, he's got speed. Uh, throw him in the bottom of the order. If he gets on, great for the top of the order. And if not, he'll play a really good second base. Uh, I don't know what Cuthbert does uh, in a specific way like that. So that's why I'm not a fan of that. But, you know, given the White Sox history of manipulating service time, you just have to expect that to be the case. Even if you try to just pretend that it shouldn't happen, it's, you know, a lot of cases it's going to. I think the biggest thing I'm surprised about is, one, they they DFA'd Carson Fulmer, which I thought they might wait to do. I thought his time was limited, but uh, just thought they might wait around of roster cuts before doing that. But really just the shape of the bullpen and having so many, you know, potential long relievers because Carlos Rodon is the rotation. So Gio Gonzalez in the bullpen. You have Ross Detweiler in the bullpen and you have Jimmy Lambert in the bullpen, uh, which is just a lot of long guys. Uh, especially uh, Detweiler, I think, you know, being with Gio Gonzalez there, a little bit redundant from yeah, the left-hand side. And I wonder if that's just uh, maybe some insurance in case Jace Fry still can't throw strikes. And that's a good point. I mean, yeah, I hope Jace Fry can find the strike zone. Because if he doesn't, I think it's got to be a short leash and the White Sox have to find that second left-hander uh, to go with Aaron Bummer. And if it's not Ross Detweiler... You know, maybe we see Garrett Crochet in the second half of this season, especially if the White Sox don't feel comfortable making a trade before the deadline to add another left-hander uh, to their bullpen. Now, remember, the 30-man roster is only good for the first two weeks of the season. After the, after the first two weeks of the season, it trims down to 28 players, so a couple of these guys are going to be falling off the roster. And then after the first month of the season, we're going to go back to normal rosters, uh, with the 26-man roster. Uh, but the most frequently asked question since the roster was announced is that with Nick, Mag- Nick Magical not making the 30-man roster, when will Nick Magical get called up? And Jim, I'm not sure. I, I, maybe it's not sure. Maybe I'm not confident that it's going to happen as far as the White Sox are going to wait one week and they're going to call up Nick Magical to gain that service year. If Lurie Garcia starts the season well, and I'm sure the White Sox would like Nomar Mazzara as soon as he's healthy enough to play right field. In that scenario, there isn't a spot for Nick Magical. Now, of course, this changes if Garcia doesn't start the season well. But I give it 50-50 odds that Magical joins the team next week. And I know there are some that think it is a slam dunk. I'll be like, oh yeah, Nick Magical will see him next week uh, when the White Sox face the Royals or they go up to Milwaukee to face the Brewers. Nick Magical then will join the White Sox and be the everyday second baseman. I'm not completely sold on that idea. 
What do you think? I think it depends on right field. And if, say, you know, Nomar Mazzara is back or how much time he needs in Schaumburg to get ready. So, yeah, because I think when you look at the roster, when I look at the roster, you know, Rick Hahn talked about Larry Garcia being a better starting candidate at second base than Nick Madrigal. And that's fine. You know, if you're looking to start the season hot and you're looking for, you know, I guess you put your best foot forward, I can see the argument that the first week of Larry Garcia is going to be better than the first week of Nick Madrigal. So that's not the problem. The problem is that, like, you know, you're not, or at least I'm not comparing Madrigal to uh, Garcia. I'm comparing him to Cuthbert and Danny Mendick. And, uh, you know, in, in the case of those players, like, I like Mendick. I think he could be, you know, a decent second division utility infielder. Uh, I think he's got, like, a future in that regard. But when it comes to just the, you know, what he does well now, kind of it falls in the same thing. He can run a bit. He can hit for a bit of power. Uh, you know, has an okay eye, but, you know, in the major leagues, he hasn't shown any of those to be a strength yet. Whereas Madrigal, I think I know his strength, which is, you know, running and uh, defense. Uh, So that's what I keep coming back to. And I just don't know how Schaumburg is going to be helpful for some guys. Um, It it won't be. Yeah, I I can see, like, just keeping guys loose, keeping, you know, especially for, like, say, starting pitchers or, or like a guy like Mazzaro who misses some time, just get a couple games in to get some, especially like tailored games to where you can, uh, uh, you know, appear in at the plate, like every you know, three innings in a row, just to see a lot of pitches and, and same thing with starters that they can throw five, six innings, um, and, and, you know, get up to speed there. But when it comes to like, um, facing major league quality pitchers, or at least even, you know, good AAA pitchers on an everyday basis, a competitive basis where they're trying to get you out and embarrass you for their own advancement and career. You know, I saw that with the intra-squad games, they weren't as intense as the games against the Cubs and the Brewers were, just because uh, ultimately they're teammates. They're on each other's side. And so I don't think you can ramp up intra-squad games uh, to be that kind of environment. So that's why I'm just... uh, yeah, I don't think they can treat that as a good environment to help a guy develop or finish developing. So I think he'll be up sooner rather than later. Just more a matter of whether Mazar is back, whether they have to make any tweaks to right field, because I would like to see Larry in right uh, and uh, Madrigal at second. And then you can have Angle play when it's strategically uh, you know, smart, platoon wise. I just think, you know, Nicky Delmonico, everybody loves him, but uh, you know, he just hasn't hit for three years, basically. And and I just wonder if the White Sox are chasing a ghost there. Well, he hit that home run against the Brewers. That yeah. didn't sell you? <laughs> no, it's, I mean, he's had some moments in the spring, uh, but he's had moments before. Maybe it's the shoulder uh, issue being surgically repaired and he's fine. So, I mean, I can, I'm interested to see what he does, you know, in a competitive environment, but just, it's been a long time since he's hit. <laughs> and when he's not hitting, when he's not providing like, you know, uh, 280 average, 330 on base percentage, 470 slugging, which he did his first year, if I recall correctly. Um, it's just, there's not there's nothing there. There's no defense. There's no base running. Uh, uh, likeable clubhouse presence, but just doesn't help a team. You know, doesn't add in any one facet. I'm glad you mentioned as far as maybe, maybe I'm wrong in comparing Magical to Lurie Garcia. Uh in the sense of if Garcia is performing well in the first week, that may delay when Magical does join the team. I just uh, maybe I'm just being up so much just following this these decision makings by Rick Hahn over the years, Jim, and try to understand what the his train of thought is. 
even in a couple of weeks when this roster gets trimmed down to 28 guys, you know, I, I don't see Jimmy Lambert or Ross Detweiler uh, staying with the team long term. I know you keep bringing up what's the point of Chelsea or Cuthbert. I think the White Sox might be more confident in Cuthbert playing third base than Danny Mendick. Uh, and if there's something wrong that, or if something wrong does happen to you and Mikata, uh, if he needs a day off, they may just feel more confident having Cuthbert at third than Danny Mendick. I'm not saying that's the right decision, mm-hmm. uh, but that's what we saw during spring training 2.0. We saw a lot of Cuthbert. We didn't see a lot of Danny Mendick at third. Uh, and I think that plays into the factor as well of whether Nick magical comes up next week or not. It, if this is a situation like the Toronto Blue Jays kind of already announcing when Nate Pearson is going to be making his first start of the 2020 season and Gavin Lux is not with the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, to start the season. If Nick Magical does come up in a week, man, that's going to look terrible. <laughs> that is going to look absolutely terrible, especially for an organization that prides itself with the Jerry Reinsdorf model of signing these guys to contract extensions for the most part uh, before they even play a single game in the major leagues, as we've seen with uh, Aloy Jimenez and uh, and Luis Robert. But uh, again, I, I I don't think it's a slam dunk. It's 100% sure that Nick Magical is going to be with the White Sox next week. If they stumble out of the gate, or I should say if – Delmonico's not hitting, and Ingle's not hitting, and Lurie Garcia's not playing well, and Cuthbert is is a disaster when he does play, then I think you're right, Jim. We'll see Magical next week. But if any of the, that, those four, if there's any combination of two players that is performing well, I think we'll have to wait a little bit longer. And that's why I'm fascinated by what the Royals are doing with Brady Singer, who was drafted in the same draft as Magical. He's making the opening day rotation. Yeah, he's pitching Saturday. Yeah, and you know, I wrote about it in the 30-man roster post, so I won't uh, you know, recap everything I wrote, but just that's the case where the Royals, you know, Dayton Moore has a very, uh, you know, he's very sensitive to prospects and, and in the case of just like what they do, what they do for a team, how he values them as people. And he's been, uh, the Royals didn't cut any of their minor leaguers and they're one of only two teams to do it. And uh, when it came time to sign the undrafted uh, free agents for the $20,000 maximum bonus, the Royals dominated uh, the first uh, couple of days, mm-hmm. the, days of that signing period just because when they talked to Dayton Moore, they talked to people the Royals or talked around and asked about the Royals, they said, oh, they treated us well. Uh, right. and, and they'll treat you well. They respect you. You, know, you don't have to be a top prospect to be respected. And, uh, you know, when you see Singer make the opening day rotation now, they can get that week back if they, you know, if it turns out that he's been overmatched and they just sent him back, uh, then, you know, they can call him up later in the following season and be fine, you know, not lose that year of service time. So it's not all done, you know, it's not, it's not wrapped up and they're not going to lose him necessarily uh, after six seasons, but uh, at least they're giving him a shot. And I think it's the same thing with Madrigal. Like he could come up and not look great. And if you want to have Larry start, second base every day and send magical down they theoretically could but the white Sox just don't like doing that so i guess that's their approach but and the way they do it it allows them to get seven years every time yeah we'll see what nick magical does join the white Sox. i think he will join at some point and i think he should be the opening day second baseman for the white Sox. but trying to understand rick Hunt's thoughts and looking at past history we've got seven years with the guy jim 
<laughs> I just, you know, I, I read the, the service time stuff and then I see, you know, read articles about the Cubs and how they're trying to trade Chris Bryant before he becomes too expensive in his seventh <laughs> year. It's not worth it. And I just wonder, you know, what's the, yeah. Yeah. It's just, especially for great players. It's like, uh, um, you know, Pam. Right. Uh, and you know, when you trade for a guy, they never sign an extension. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Anyways. Well, Andrew Vaughn's like the last one. And then we're done with <laughs> the is. conversation. Oh, you know what? You're right. He is. He is the last one. Because the White Sox don't do this with their pitchers. Only position players. They play this game. The posi- p- pitchers are, the clock is ticking from a White Sox perspective. If we think you're ready, you're going to, you're going to get started. And pitchers, I think, you know, they're an easier uh, recipient to the idea of certainty. Right. Position players, different set of rules. But anyways, let's preview opening day. Let's get pumped up for the first games for the Chicago White Sox and the weekend series against the Minnesota Twins. These teams will play 10 games against each other in 2020. Seven of those games are going to be playing at guaranteed rate field. So that should be an advantage for the White Sox. It was not last year. The Chicago White Sox were 3-7 and seven at home against the Minnesota Twins. So let's look at the opening day pitching probables for both the White Sox and the Minnesota Twins with the first pitch at 7.10 p.m. Central Time. Lucas Giolito will be making his first career opening day start. Last season, Giolito was 2-2 two and two against the Minnesota Twins with a very respectable 3.24 ERA, especially against that Twins lineup that led the majors with 307 home runs in 2019. Giolito had one of his best starts of his career at Minneapolis on August 21st last year when Giolito shut down the Twins lineup with a 12-strikeout shutout performance. So Giolito has had success against the Minnesota Twins. Opposing Giolito, though, is the always tough Jose Barrios. For White Sox fans that have been around for a long time, Barrios is quickly joining the ranks of Justin Verlander, that public enemy number one that for whatever reason, the White Sox struggled greatly against this type of starting pitcher. Last year, Barrios in five starts against the White Sox went four and one with a 2.88 ERA. Jim, let's try to guess because we don't know at this moment when we're recording this episode on what manager Rick Renteria may trot out for his opening day lineup as he tries to help manage the team to a 1-0 and start. If you were creating the lineup card for opening day, knowing that Jose Breos is on the mound for the Minnesota Twins, what would your lineup be? Well, I, I think uh, given that they don't really have a great on-base guy, like a great traditional leadoff guy, especially since Yohan Makata is still getting his legs back, I think you just have to try to throw just sluggers towards the top of the order. Just, you know, I think maybe... I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of Tim Anderson batting up top against somebody with Brio's breaking. Uh, Brios is breaking stuff, but I think you could have something like, you know, Mancada, Jimenez batting second, uh, Abreu, Grandal, um, Encarnacion, just like shoved up there. Then Anderson sixth, Robert, you know, seventh. Just something along those lines to where you're not like putting the aggressive right-handed pitchers against somebody with uh, you know Brios's stuff that can make them chase. Uh, so have your your hitters with more plate coverage 
and and maybe your lefties up top, maybe Lahiri up there as leadoff guy, just because he does, you know, he has seen pitches from the left side in the leadoff spot, and is, you know, he has an unusual brand of leadoff hitting, which uh, I would recommend to most people, but it makes it work yeah, for him. Like he's a, uh, you know, he, he's he is who he is, and he doesn't seem to uh, you know try to be anybody else when he's in the leadoff spot, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but. He scored a lot of runs with Jose Abreu batting, so it wasn't all bad. And uh, so, I mean, you know, maybe throw him up top if you don't want to, you know, mess up anybody, you know, with the whole idea of batting leadoff. Uh, but after that, just, uh, you know, just kind of shove your power hitters up to the front and uh, see if you can get a couple cheap homers. Yeah, Lurie Garcia in his career against Barrios is 6 for 25. Tim Anderson is 4 for 24. And neither of them have walked against Breos, and they have both struck out six times. So not a lot of success there for either Anderson or Garcia against Breos. And I'm going to throw a name out there because if you're looking for a surprise to be in the opening day lineup, other than Nicky Delmonico, Jim, James McCann is eight for 24 with four home runs against Jose Breos. As a matter of fact, no hitter in major in the major leagues has had more home runs against Jose Breos than James McCann. Hmm. Knowing that, do you have McCann at catcher and Grandal DH to start the season? No. I mean, like, I would think of it maybe as, like, well, I mean, then you have Encarnacion, but yeah, I would say DH would be the more likely spots because you have a third catcher now, so you don't have to worry about losing a DH. Well, that's why I would say, okay, so you would still have Grindel catch and maybe McCann DH instead of Encarnacion. I mean, if not everybody buys into this, by the way. I know some people do, and I think past experience, that is something that managers should, you know, pay a little attention to because if a guy feels comfortable seeing and hitting off a particular pitcher and having that type of success, maybe you want them in the lineup. James McCann has produced against Jose Breos. I'm just saying, just saying, Jim, if you want a dark horse to be in the opening day lineup, McCann has hit Jose Breos well. Uh, And if he is in the opening day lineup, I know it'll surprise a lot of White Sox fans. But again, it all goes back to that nobody in major leagues has the type of success that... Uh, James McCann has against Jose Breos hitting four home runs off of Breos. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to like batting average, I don't pay too much attention to that. But sometimes when you have like a cluster of homers against one guy, it reminds me of Paul Canerco against Jimmy Gobble. Oh, yeah. Where just every time Canerco came to the play, just like, yeah, he's going to homer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just like felt completely unfair and overmatched. So when in the homer column is like that, I, I tend to pay attention a little bit. And uh, Edwin Encarnacion, I just looked it up because I don't know his history against pitchers he's four for 18 with five strikeouts against uh Barrios. does have a homer but yeah. uh it looks like everybody else in the white Sox lineup against Barrios. so not much help there no and you know on the flip side for the minnesota twins nelson cruz is five for 12 against lucas giolito with three home runs and i think all three home runs came in the same game uh but if, if my memory does not serve me correct yeah nelson cruz hits lucas giolito well in one one reach the concourse yeah yeah, Nelson Cruz hits Giolito well. If you are playing daily, daily fantasy sports for this White Sox-Twins game, I highly recommend Nelson Cruz, even though he's on the Twins, to be in that lineup for you because he hits Lucas Giolito well. And we'll see what the opening day lineup is going to be for both the White Sox and the Minnesota Twins. Again, as we record this, we don't officially know 
Um, but we have a good idea on what players are going to be in the lineup for the White Sox. But Jim, again, Breos is so tough against the White Sox. What are the keys to opening day for the White Sox if they want to start the season 1-0? Well, outscoring the opponent, but when it comes to, uh, I, I think early on when you have the rotation still getting up to speed, I think just working, you know, trying to work long innings and then not necessarily, you know, uh, doing that on purpose, like taking hittable pitches. Uh, you know, the White Sox aren't great at working deep counts. That's why I think Grandal is such a valuable addition to the lineup because he drew a hundred walks last year, but I think long innings, uh, especially you know when you have these exhibition games where I'm thinking like the U Darvish case where they just ended the inning because they didn't want him to throw more than X amount of pitches in one frame. They want him to sit back down and come back out. Uh, if you can rack up some early laborious innings and, and having them throw 25, 30 pitches, maybe even a couple innings in a row and have them, you know, when you're looking at like 45, 50 pitches through two, uh, I wonder how... Uh, you know, coaches and pitching coaches are going to manage that since they weren't really pitchers weren't really allowed to be exposed to that so far in the uh, preseason run-up. Really good points, Jim. Something that uh, I didn't think about, but no, I, I agree with you. If they could find, if they could work, if they could make Jose Breos work, very much like they made Kyle Hendricks work in that exhibition game. And I know it's just an exhibition game, but Hendricks was four and two thirds with eighty-three pitches. I mean, he's not getting through the sixth inning of that type of start, and that's not what the Cubs would need. They would love to have Hendricks go at least into the seventh inning, and there was no chance that was going to happen. If they could do that to Jose Pereos, if, if there's a way they could chase him out before the sixth inning, I, that's got to put the White Sox in a great position to win. Yeah, and on the flip side for the White Sox, especially like, you know, Giolito is pretty efficient. You know, he's pretty friendly with the strike zone, so that should be an issue for him. I think that's another case for... Uh, you know, having Grandal catch is just somebody who catches the most strikes, gets the most favorable counts, doesn't uh, lose batters uh, the way that uh, a lesser receiver can. So uh, is Keiko throws strikes? I think maybe Lopez is the first guy who might run up pitch counts early. Yeah, that just because he doesn't miss a whole lot of bats and gets a lot of foul balls some lengthy at bats and just has to keep coming at guys with 95 plus. That might be the case where uh, he can be outlasted. Yeah, let's take a look as far as this weekend series. So, again, it's Barrios against Gilito on opening day. Saturday and Sunday, these are 1.10 p.m. Central Time starts, so in the afternoon. And a heat wave is coming into Chicago this weekend. The temperature on game day should be in the mid-90s for both Saturday and Sunday's game. It will be a hot one. For the Minnesota Twins, they're going to go with two ex-Los Angeles Dodgers. On Saturday, it is Rich Hill. And on Sunday, it's Kenta Maeda, the free agent pickup for the Minnesota Twins. This past offseason for Saturday and Sunday, opposing them on Saturday, it will be Dallas Keuchel. And as Jim mentioned, it will be Ronaldo Lopez on Sunday for the White Sox. And with Keuchel, obviously, I think this is a good test. And I think this is a good audition a real audition for Dallas Keuchel to White Sox fans, Jim, because if he can get this Minnesota Twins team to put the ball on the ground, that re- that would really give the White Sox a good chance to win because with this heat wave coming in on the weekend, I just fear the ball could be jumping out of the stadium. Yeah, that's going to be one of the fascinating things about this season is no cold weather games. Like even in September, you really won't see them. It's basically an all-summer season. Uh, so you're going to have uh, 
the lively ball the whole time. So I wonder how ERAs are going to look if, if uh, pitchers can't pad them early. And in the case of like, uh, you know, the fly ball pitchers like Lopez that he could have some trouble. I was also like watching you know, the game against the Brewers and the two homers that Carlos Rodon gave up didn't seem like they were tagged. Like it seemed like they were sliced to the opposite field. And I mean, two good hitters did it. It was a uh, uh, Hira and uh, Yelich. You know, they did it. And, you know, it's, you know, they're good hitters who can do that. But it seemed like there is more kind of sliced fly balls that found their way over the fence the opposite way. And if that's going to be the way the ball flies, uh, <laughs> I think there are going to be a lot of short starts around the league. And maybe that's why you're seeing, you know, the long relief types like Detweiler and Gonzalez and uh, uh, Lambert in there early just because it could get ugly, especially as pitchers are trying to find their best stuff. We'll be recapping as far as the opening weekend series against the Minnesota Twins on Monday, Sox Machine Podcast. So that's something for everyone to look forward to. But before we wrap up this episode, the White Sox did announce that Dylan Cease will be the number four starter. He'll be starting the game on the road on Monday at Cleveland. And Carlos Rodon, Jim, is the number five starter, something we talked about on Monday, who would be the fifth starter between Carlos Rodon and Gio Gonzalez. And it is Rodon getting the nod, and he'll make the start on Tuesday. What are your thoughts about Cease and Rodon at the back end of this rotation? Well, you win that round because Rodon was your guy for the fifth spot. And Huzzah! When I saw him, yeah, <laughs> when I saw his stat cast numbers and, and the velocity being better than it looked mm-hmm. <laughs> just by the eye test and how uh, White Sox hitters were pulling him to the stands that, okay, yeah, there's there's more there than I thought velocity-wise. He got some swinging strikes. So I felt better about that outing even with the homers. So, uh, you know, it's more or less fine. I think if you were, if you were throwing like 91, I would be a lot more concerned about the, the the starting assignment. So that's that's fine. And then Cease, I think, is maybe you just don't want him. You know, when you're tra- when he's trying to get his sea legs and trying to establish a, a a good start to his first full season, such as it is. Um, you know, maybe Minnesota is not the first guy you want, uh, <laughs> first team you want when you're trying to uh, get off to a good start. Yeah, yeah, and you know, on Saturday, I know I mentioned James McCann in the opening day lineup. I wonder if we're going to get the pig suey combination of James McCann and Dallas Keuchel this season, mm. Jim. I where... hope not, just because Keuchel needs those low strikes. Yeah, I, I know. And, and Grandal gets the low strikes. McCann's better at the high strike, so I like him better with Lopez personally. Yeah, you know, if you're going to have to start one mm. of those guys, but um, yeah, just I think Keuchel. You know, he had through the. Uh, second lowest percentage of pitches in the zone last year. Mm. And I think he just needs that low strike there or the threat of the low strike. So you're not buying the Arkansas magic. Not yet. I mean, I'm willing to, yeah, I know when McCann's put a lot of work into his framing or receiving, I don't know if he's ever, right. you know, like, or put more work into it than ever before. So maybe, you know, he can learn new tricks in that regard. So I'm open-minded in terms of how much his receiving can improve year over year, because it's not quite a static thing. Like some guys have shown the ability to improve and I don't want to count them out, but I think early on, uh, I think you try to go with the strong matchups and then, you know, at, cause I think uh, framing only takes like a couple weeks to stabilize. Uh, you can probably see it pretty early if there's any difference in just how he's catching pitches and what kind of parts of the zone he's covering better. Well, hopefully we are talking about a white Sox series win on Monday on the Sox machine podcast do you want to be bold, Jim, and make a prediction how this first weekend's going to go for the White Sox? I'm going to say one of three, just because. Oh. Yeah, just because of the homers. 
Hmm. I, I'm still, yeah, what was it? What numbers we uh, figured out? 27 to 8 they're out, Homer, yeah. last year. Yes. So that just uh, still, I need to see... Uh, I need to see the White Sox be able to counterpunch, I think, before I believe. Uh, Being too confident about a head-to-head matchup against the Twins in a small ballpark during a heat wave. Yeah, I just want them to be 3-3 and as they head into the weekend series against Kansas City. So find a way to split these six games against the Twins and Indians to to put yourself in a, a, a good spot to start the 2020 season. If they are one in five or two and four, or God forbid zero and six to start the season, we're going to have to change our expectations that we just talked about at the beginning part of this show, Jim, uh, on them making the postseason. <laughs> That's an 18 game losing streak. And pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. But you know, hopefully again, I'll be, I'll try to be a little bit more optimistic than Jim. Jim is probably realistic though. Uh, I'm hoping the White Sox win this opening series against the Minnesota Twins and get themselves on a good start for the 2020 season because, again, it it doesn't get any easier for them after this weekend as they go on the road and visit the Cleveland Indians for games four through six. And we'll preview those games on Monday Sox Machine Podcast. But thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. We all hope that everyone has a wonderful opening day. Again, first pitch for the White Sox and Twins is at 7.10 p.m. Central Time. And you could follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine. You could help support Sox Machine on Patreon at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. If you'd like to chat with other White Sox fans on Sox Machine, we'll have the game thread as well. And if you want more in-depth analysis of this matchup between the White Sox and Twins, definitely visit SoxMachine.com as Patrick. Nolan will have the series preview as he'll have more nuggets of information for you to consider for this first series of the 2020 season. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And the Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.